This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett. Heard every Sunday night from 11 p.m. to 1 a.m. on Zoomer Radio, the new AM740. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett. Heard every Sunday night from 11 p.m. to 1 a.m. on Zoomer Radio, the new AM740. Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett from Zuma Radio, AM 740. And uh, we are doing this one live from Onionville. Unionville, that is. We call it Onionville up in these here parts. Driving uh, north on the uh, 404 this evening, and the skies looked most ominous, and uh, we're hearing the occasional thunder boomer out there uh, right now. Wherever you are, I hope you are dry and safe and uh, content. So settle in uh, for a program that is, um, uh, well, rest assured, it will inform, but it also may disturb. Unfortunately, that sort of comes with the territory, the sorts of things that we discuss on the program. You know, the British have a... uh, have a, an expression that I'm quite fond of. It's uh, gobsmacked. And uh, wait till you hear this statistic. This is something I'm not familiar with as I enjoy a large vessel of fluoridated uh, drinking water. Uh, despite the dental pressure, despite pressure from the dental uh, various dental associations, 99% of Western continental Europe has rejected, banned, or stopped fluoridation due to environmental health, legal, or ethical concerns. Did you get that? 99% of Western continental Europe has rejected, banned, or stopped fluoridation due to environmental health, legal, or ethical concerns. In total, only about 5% of the world population is fluoridated, and more than 50% of these people live in North America. China, fluoride is banned, not allowed. In Austria, it was rejected. Toxic fluorides, they call them, not added. Belgium, rejected. Finland, stopped. Germany, stopped. Denmark, rejected. Norway, rejected. On and on the list goes. Japan, rejected, citing possible health problems. Now, about an hour down the 401 resides a uh, community called Waterloo. Uh, it's, a, um, it's a university town. And uh, back in 2010, the city council, again, despite 
warnings from public health officials. They voted to stop fluoridating their drinking their drinking water. And this is because of public pressure. People are rising up in communities now across North America demanding that their politicians act and uh, ban fluoridation. So we're going to discuss that uh, tonight. Dr. Paul Conant is graduate of Cambridge University and holds a PhD in chemistry from Dartmouth College. He is the executive director of the Fluoride Action Network and has researched fluoride's toxicity for nearly 11 years. He has given uh, invited presentations to the Fluoridation Forum in Ireland, the Japanese Society for Fluoride Research, and the American College of Toxicology. Uh, Dr. Paul Conant, welcome to The Conspiracy Show. How are you this evening? I'm fine, thanks very much. That, um, that bio was a little dated, in fact. I've been researching the issue for 15 years, and I think the most important place where I was invited to present was to the National Research Council in the United States, in Washington, in 2003. And uh, that was very important because the National Research Council in 2006 produced a 507-page paper report, review of fluoride's toxicity, which should have been the end of fluoridation. If science was prevailed and if the Environmental Protection Agency and other federal agencies actually performed scientifically and behaved honestly, it would be the end of fluoridation. But anyway... Uh, uh, <laughs> now, Paul, there is, there, is, there is calcium fluoride, which is an actual mineral, correct? Yes. Um, fluoride, it, it depends upon what rocks the water flows through before it reaches the, the source of water, whether it's surface water or groundwater, as to how much fluoride is in there. It averages about 0.1 parts per million across the, across the country, um, the water. But it can, in some countries, it can be, get pretty, pretty high. So when we fluoridate the water one part per million, we're adding 10 times more water than the average background. I guess my question is there is a naturally occurring type of fluoride that is not necessarily toxic, and then there is the, the fluoride, which is, some say, a hazardous waste byproduct. Is that correct? Well, that, that's, uh, fluoride is fluoride is fluoride. The fluoride iron is toxic. Uh, just because something occurs naturally does not make it non-toxic. Excellent Arsenic point. occurs naturally, and, of course, it's very toxic and millions of people have had their lives ruined in india and china parts of africa mexico from naturally occurring fluoride so i wouldn't want to continue this notion that calcium fluoride is okay but the nasty stuff that we put into the drinking water is is not okay uh, that's not the issue there is an issue here in as much as the fluoride that they put into the drinking water is not pharmaceutical grade. It's not the same grade of fluoride that they put into toothpaste and other dental products. In fact, outrageously, it is obtained from the scrubbing liquor, the wet scrubbers of the phosphate fertilizer industry. Now, this is a hazardous waste of the phosphate fertilizer industry, which can't be dumped into the sea by international law. It can't be dumped locally because it's too concentrated. But one of the vagaries of 
of hazardous waste regulations in the United States. I'm not sure about Canada. But if somebody buys a hazardous product from industry, it's no longer protected by hazardous waste regulations, it becomes a product. And that's on that basis that this substance is then put into the, into the drinking water. But of what's a great concern here is that there are many contaminants in this uh, scrubbing liquor uh, from the phosphate fertilizer industry, and one in particular is arsenic. Now, there's no safe level of arsenic, no safe level. It's a human carcinogen. It causes cancer. So the one thing that we can say about using industrial waste to fluoridate our water is that there will be an increase in cancer rates in the community that does it. Whether it's large or small is not the issue. You are necessarily increasing the cancer rates in an effort to reduce a small amount of tooth decay. It simply doesn't make sense. So if I'm hearing you correctly, Paul, the, the, um, the industry that is producing uh, phosphates for, uh, for agriculture and so forth, they, they didn't know what to do with this byproduct. They weren't allowed to throw it into the ocean. So they convinced right. governments, hey, let's put it in the drinking water? Yep, there's, there's a letter from Rebecca Hanmer from the EPA actually uh, saying how wonderful it was that they've got rid of this air pollution, and by putting it in the water, they have a cheap supply of a chemical to, to, to fluoridate the water. So, so it, it's, it's not um, an accident. It, it's quite deliberate that the uh, certain sections of the EPA, the Environmental Protection Agency of the United States, see this as a, a good solution, that here we had a hazardous waste, which was difficult to get rid of, but if we, we could put it in the drinking water, and, and using the discredited notion that the answer to pollution is dilution. I should point out that the 23% the solution that results from, from the scrubbing system is diluted about 200,000 to 1 to get it down to the, the approximate one part per million, or in Canada it's, it's now, I think, 0.6 or 0.7 parts per million. But it's, there is a very large dilution. But it's ironic that we don't accept that dilution uh, a much greater dilution if we put it into the sea. That's, that's forbidden. But we accept a lesser dilution into the, into the drinking water. And I'd come back to what I said earlier. And regardless of how much dilution, you're adding substances which cause cancer to the drinking water, which any responsible health official should reject. But unfortunately, we don't have responsible health officials running this show. And, and perhaps the clearest evidence of that is Health Canada. And Health Canada has just produced a report uh, December 2010, but it wasn't actually published till I think, June. Absolutely outrageous. And I know it's an outrageous report because they asked for comments when they produced a draft in 2009. And I, along with other scientists, submitted comments and pointed out that their, their review was totally inadequate. For example, I'll give you a specific example. They reviewed five of the IQ studies, and I pointed out in my submission that there were at least 18 IQ studies. In fact, there have now been 24 studies which associate a lowering of IQ with fairly moderate exposure to natural fluoride. Now, I pointed that out in black and white, and it made no difference 
to their final report. Their final report still reviews only five IQ studies and doesn't mention the other uh, dozen or so that I brought to, to their attention. And, and that's, that is totally unacceptable. Uh, and, and people in, in Canada should be asking serious questions about why Health Canada is behaving like a propagandistic uh, operation, is producing propaganda, it's public relations for a policy. It's, it's more important, apparently, for them to protect this practice than it is to protect the health of, of Canada's children. It, it, it's, I, I, many Canada, uh, Canadians are unaware of these things. They're just unaware that on this issue, Health Canada has let them down. Well, Paul, uh, I think when it comes to our uh, our personal health, safeguarding our health or taking responsibility uh, for our health, uh, we are, uh, it's, a, it's a blanket statement, but it, I think there's some truth. We are just plain unaware. Uh, hold on, Paul. We'll take a, a, a time out. We'll come back. Dr. Paul Connett, graduate of Cambridge University, holds a PhD in chemistry from Dartmouth College, and he is the executive director of the Fluoride Action Network. The Case Against Fluoride. Here on The Conspiracy Show, get on board. Comments and questions, welcome at 416-360-0740. And toll free from Maine to Minnesota and Thunder Bay, Ontario to the Carolinas, 866-744-740. Fasten your seatbelt and put your tray in the upright position. You're about to leave everything you know behind. On The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett. From Zoomer Radio, AM 740. When you look at the sky, ever wonder if someone's looking back? This is The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett on Zoomer Radio, AM 740. To speak to Richard live... Call 416-360-0740 or toll-free in Ontario, 1-866-740-4740. Welcome back, friends. Dr. Paul Conant is with us from the Fluoride Action Network. Uh, uh, Paul, the the uh, statistics I read off the top of the show uh, that uh, 99% of Europe... Is, has rejected, banned, or stopped fluoridation due to environmental, health, legal, or ethical concerns. Is that accurate? Does that still stand? 99% yeah, has rejected? Absolutely. Um, there's only three countries in Europe that have any fluoridation at all. Uh, Spain has uh, about 10% of the population drinking fluoridated water. England has about 10%, and, and that stayed level for, for many, many years. And Ireland has mandatory fluoridation, and over 70% of the Irish public is drinking fluoridated water. Um, most of the rest of Europe does not fluoridate its water. And yet, according to World Health Organization data, for 12-year-olds, there is no difference in tooth decay. Well, there's no difference in the rate with which tooth decay is coming down in, in countries, whether they're fluoridated or not. And today, the tooth decay in 12-year-olds is a wash. You, 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 if you look at that data, you could not tell whether those 12-year-olds have come from a fluoridated country or a non-fluoridated country. And in fact, the evidence that fluoridation actually works to reduce tooth decay is extremely weak. And that was a surprise to me um, when I started researching this 15 years ago. 
um, it was a huge surprise to me. I, I was expecting to get, to get the evidence why it was a bad medical practice, and I was expecting to, to find some dangers uh, based upon its biochemistry, because fluoride is very toxic. We know that. But what I wasn't expecting was to find that the whole mythology that somehow swallowing fluoride reduces tooth decay, I wasn't expecting to find that, uh, that the evidence was so, so weak. And we, we understand why the evidence is weak that swallowing fluoride reduces tooth decay, because even the promoters now admit that the mechanism of fluoride's benefit to teeth, if any exists at all, is topical. It works on the outside of the tooth enamel, it, not from inside the body. There's not one single process in the body that requires fluoride. Fluoride is not a nutrient. It's, as I said, to, it's, it interacts with the surface of the enamel and makes the enamel harder, makes it more resistant to acid attack, and the acids produced when sugar breaks down with bacteria. But you can get that topical action by brushing your teeth with fluoridated toothpaste and spitting it out, which, of course, makes much more sense because, on the one hand, you're not exposing every tissue in the body to a known toxic substance. And on the other hand, you're not forcing it on people that don't want it and violating their right, their important right to informed consent to medication. In fact, with fluoridation, we're allowing a whole a government, a local government, state government, to do to everyone what an individual doctor can do to no one. They cannot force you to take medication. They're required to tell you the side effects and, and the, the benefits, and you are meant to, to make the choice whether you take the medication or not. And again, going back to Health Canada and your local medical officers of health in Canada are simply not telling the people about the side effects of fluoride. They just do not tell them anything. The only thing that they admit to is that fluoride causes damage to the enamel. If you're overexposed to fluoride before your permanent teeth have come out, you get a condition called dental fluorosis. And in the United States, this has now reached epidemic proportions. 41% of children aged 12 to 15 in the United States now have this condition called dental fluorosis. So nearly half of American kids are overexposed to fluoride. And the, 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 the research in Canada is so poor, there's very little, little studies, good studies being done in Canada on anything except teeth. And even then, the, the, the research on dental fluorosis in Canada is, is totally inadequate. So I can't tell you what the dental fluorosis rates are in in Canada, but I can tell you that in the United States, it's reached um, unacceptable proportions. And at that point, uh, we have a huge difference. The people that promote fluoridation say, oh, the only side effect of fluoride is dental fluorosis, and that's, that, that's just a cosmetic effect. It's not a health, health effect. The people on the other side, the opponents of fluoridation, like myself, say, hey, this is the first indicator, the visible indicator that you've been overexposed to fluoride, and it will be a biochemical miracle if the only tissue that's being impacted with fluoride's known toxicity is, is the growing tooth cell. What about the growing the bones? What about the brains? And so on. And the evidence is, is, is coming in that fluoride does indeed damage these other tissues, and this practice is, is absolutely reckless, especially 
if you go back to the beginning of the answer to this question, when you know that it doesn't work, what risks would you take? What risk would you take for uh, either no benefit or a very, very small benefit in terms of reducing tooth decay? What parent in their right mind would risk the mental development of their child in order to reduce a very small amount of tooth decay? I mean, the whole thing is preposterous. Uh, uh, Paul, talk to me about the fluoride in the toothpaste. I mean, here's, a, here's an, ob- an obvious question, perhaps, but I mean, it, you're not supposed to swallow the toothpaste, and, uh, and, and yet it's okay to drink fluoridated water. Can you explain that seeming contradiction? Yes. Even though I've got, we've got a whole hour, I think, tonight, I should point out I've written a book on this subject. It's called The Case Against Fluoride uh, with two other scientists, a biologist and, and a physicist. And the physicist is uh, a Canadian, James Beck from Alberta. So there is a whole book there with 80 pages of, of documentation. And one of the things that we discuss in that book is another outrageous situation that in the United States, the Food and Drug Administration, the FDA, has never regulated fluoride for ingestion. It's never addressed the issue of fluoride um, as toxicity, even though uh, you know, over 180 million Americans are drinking this drug. It's the most prescribed drug in American history. It's never been regulated by the FDA. It is, in fact, their official classification of fluoride is an unapproved drug. Unapproved drug. However... The FDA does regulate cosmetics, and it regulates toothpaste, fluoridated toothpaste. And on the back of a tube of toothpaste in the United States, you read this warning required by the FDA. Keep out of the reach of children under six. Uh, Only use recommended amounts. And if you swallow more than the recommended amounts, get medical attention or contact a poison center immediately. Now, to put that into perspective, the recommended amount is a pea-sized amount of toothpaste, a pea-sized amount. And you can calculate that a pea-sized amount of fluoridated toothpaste at 1,000 parts per million contains one quarter of a milligram. Well, if you remember that we fluoridate the water at one part per million, that's one milligram per liter. So a quarter of a milligram would be in a quarter of a liter or 250 milliliters of water. So in other words, the amount of toothpaste that you not amount to, uh, should not swallow is equivalent to one glass of water. And so I think you can see how preposterous again this is, that if the, if the FDA was consistent and they should go into everybody's kitchen and put above the, up the tap, uh, keep out of the reach of children under six, don't swallow. And if you should actually swallow more than a glass of water, contact, get medical help or contact a poison control center. So all this underlines the fact that with fluoride, you're dealing with a substance which is not a nutrient. Let me underline that. There's not one single process in the body that requires fluoride. And yet we know it interferes with many biological processes, including enzymes, G-proteins, and some other Uh, very important things in the body. It's a reckless thing to do, and it's particularly reckless. Well, let me ask you this. Do you know if in Canada, in Canada, you have ever used the public water supply to deliver medicine for anything else? 
Other not, than in, not intentionally. Have you ever used the public water supply to deliver medicine? Not intentionally. No, you don't. Uh, there are a lot of chemicals added to water, but those chemicals are added to water to treat the water, make it safe, make it palatable to drink. Fluoridation is the only time we've used the public water supply to deliver a medicine. And that's an absolutely daft thing to do. Because once you put a medicine in the water, you can't control the dose. And every pharmacist and every doctor knows when you prescribe a medicine, you've got to control the dose. There's no medicine that you can say, go and take as much as you want. It just doesn't exist. And secondly, once you put it in the water, it goes to everybody. It goes to babies. It goes to infants. It goes to children. It goes to elderly people. It goes to sick people. It goes to people that are malnourished. It goes to people with poor kidney function who can't get rid of the fluoride. Um, it's, it's, it's ridiculous. But this, we are sleepwalking. We slipped through. The public is asleep on this issue, has been asleep for 60 years. The mainstream media is not doing and, and a decent job investigating, investigating this. It doesn't take very long. If people go to our website, thefluoridealert.org, www.fluoridealert.org, make sure you spell fluoride, F-L-U-O, think of flu, fluoridealert.org, you'll find 10 arguments against fluoridation, the top 10 arguments. You'll find 50 reasons to oppose fluoridation, all documented, all the science is there, You'll find a 28-minute videotape which you can watch online called Professional Perspectives on Fluoridation. And if that's not enough, you have this book with 80 pages of documentation. So All the right. science Doctor. is there. It's very accessible if people care to look. And when people look, they are going to be shocked. In fact, they uh, won't believe it. All right, I mean, let's most up, people do we'll not come back, believe, Dr. for Conant. example, that we would be daft enough to put a hazardous waste into the drinking water. They wouldn't okay, believe we'll, that. We'll, but it's we'll come true. back with Dr. Conant. The they, case they against fluoride here believe. on The Conspiracy Show. Back with more in a moment. Stay with us. If you're sure your phone isn't tapped, call now, 416-360-0740, or toll free in Ontario at 1-866-740-4740. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett. Heard every Sunday night from 11 p.m. to 1 a.m. on Zoomer Radio, the new AM740. The world is being pulled over your eyes. This is The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett from Zoomer Radio, AM740. To reach Richard, call 416-360-0740 or toll free at 1-866-740-4740. Last half hour of the program, that's 1230 to 1 a.m. Eastern, will be open lines. So just you, me, and the telephone, the last half hour of the show. Just a reminder, The Conspiracy Show, the television program, season two, debuts Wednesday September the 28th, 11 p.m. Eastern on Vision TV. That's right across Canada. Check local listings for your cable provider. The channel changes depending on whether you're Rogers or Shaw or Bell or what have you. So again, Wednesday, September the 28th, 11 p.m. Eastern. 
on Vision TV, and uh, the first half hour is a, uh, a brand new episode from season two. The second half hour is an, an episode from season one. So Wednesday the 28th, and then every weeknight thereafter uh, for the duration. All right, Dr. Paul Conant is with us from the Fluoride Action Network, and we are discussing the case against fluoride. That happens to be the name of his book, an 80-page book, where you can get uh, that case laid out for you. Uh, d- explain to me, uh, Dr. Conant, how the dental association, uh, various dental associations, the medical associations across uh, North America were were brought on side, some might say deceived, uh, to endorse fluoride in the water. How did, give me the history. Well, that's a, that's a really good question because in 1943 and 1944, both the American Dental Association and the American Medical Association wrote editorials in their journals uh, opposing fluoridation. And, and what happened is you got the trials that began in 1945 both in um, America, in Grand Rapids, Newburgh, New York, Grand Rapids, Michigan, and Brantford, Ontario, which were meant to go on for 10 or 15 years. Before, but before any of these trials were completed, mysteriously, the U.S. Public Health Service endorsed fluoridation in 1950. They weren't even halfway through some of those trials. And, you know, you have to wonder why. But immediately after the, the U.S. Public Health Service endorsed fluoridation, all those professional bodies it fell like a row of dominoes. They, too, endorsed fluoridation. None of the trials have been completed. Practically no medical studies had been published. And yet these so-called professional bodies just went along with the tide, and, and probably because they realized that they weren't going to bite the hand that fed them that the U.S. Public Health Service gives a, a lot of money uh, for research. And um, so they just went along with it. They've gone along with it ever since. And it's very rare that any of these bodies produce a scientifically-based review of the literature. It's all, it's all secondhand. Uh, and the whole thing has been a massive betrayal of the public's trust at all levels, at all levels. At the, at the bottom of the level, you have your doctors and dentists who are only taught one thing at dental school and medical school. I don't know of any dental school in which both sides of this debate are given to, to students. They're just fed one propagandistic line. Um, uh, same with medical schools. I don't know of any medical schools which really give this serious attention. And by and large, the doctors treat this as if the dentists are in charge of the issue, it's about teeth, let them get on with it kind of thing. But it's not about teeth, it's about the brains, it's about bones, it's about every tissue in the body that fluoride could be impacting. Anyway, once they've left medical and dental school and they've started their practices, doctors and dentists generally do not have the time to review the literature. So I don't hold that against them. They don't have time to review the literature. The three authors of our book biologists, physicists, and the chemists, we're all retired professors, and we've had plenty of time to read the literature, and of course we're appalled that this is going on. So what do the doctors and dentists do? They take at face value what they're told by their professional bodies, and their professional bodies are not doing a scientific job reviewing the literature. They, in turn, are taking the statements from agencies like Health Canada, in Canada and the Center for Disease Control in the United States, 
and not realizing that they've both become so wedded to this practice that they can't admit that they're wrong. So rather than admit they're wrong, they're protecting this practice rather than um, protecting the people. It's an outrage. So we need questions in Parliament. We need somebody in Ottawa to ask why it is that Health Canada is, is, is acting in this propagandistic fashion instead of doing what it should be doing, is to review the science objectively. And I'm questions. not making this up, by the way. Let We've me got tell to... you, Health Canada is a preliminary step to this review of fluoride's toxicity and effectiveness. Got a panel of six experts. Four of those experts were dentists who were known to be pro-fluoridation, actively pro-fluoridation. So four out of six people that you're going to have to review the literature are, are dentists. They're not toxicologists and, and epidemiologists and all, all the other uh, medical skills. They didn't have those. So, and the other two had never written anything on fluoride and were employed by, I believe they were both employed by government agencies that, that are pro-fluoridation. So clearly, Health Canada, somebody in Health Canada, handpicked a panel of six experts to produce a self-fulfilling prophecy that fluoridation is safe and effective, safe and effective, safe and effective. And, uh, for example, the issue that I'm particularly concerned about and most familiar with is the effect of fluoride on the brain. And they reviewed, this panel of six review, so-called reviewed the literature and said the weight of evidence, let's listen to this, the weight of evidence is that there's no effect uh, on, on IQ. The weight of evidence. We now have 25 studies, 25 studies which show an association with lowered IQ and exposure to fluoride from India, China, Iran, Mexico. 25 studies. What weight of evidence are we talking about? There's maybe two studies out there that have not found this association. You, we've also got over 100 studies which have found that fluoride damages animal brain. We have other studies which shows that fluoride damages the fetal brain. Where, how can you come up with a statement that the weight of evidence says that there's no problem with fluoride and, and mental development or lowered IQ? It's absolute, utter nonsense. It's distortion. It's as it, it, but they were handpicked to come back with that conclusion and uh, I noticed this program is called conspiracy theories well this is a conspiracy theory with, with a vengeance the, the people that selected those six experts for Health Canada were engaged in a conspiracy to deceive the Canadian public and I don't say that lightly I have a great deal of respect for Canadians a great deal of respect for Canadian institutes but you're losing it. You're losing it in Canada. You really are. And that's why you need urgently MPs in, in Canada to ask questions about how it was that Health Canada, uh, first of all, picked that six-member panel of experts to produce a self-fulfilling prophecy, and how it was that Health Canada absolutely ignored impact from bona fide independent scientists that crit critiqued their, their preliminary report on fluoride. It, it was critiqued, seriously critiqued, and that critique was essentially ignored by Health Canada. If that doesn't produce questions, then, I, then it's a very sad day for Canada. 
Well, we we have produced some questions, and we have them on the on the uh, the line right now. Is Carl still there from Buffalo? Carl in Buffalo. Hello. Hello. Uh, thanks for taking my call. Um, yeah, we get our water in Buffalo from Lake Erie, and I'm not sure if they're adding fluoride or not. But if they are, uh, Buffalo Buffalo is fluoridated. Yep. Okay. How how can you filter the fluoride out yourself at home? Well, you you really can't do it cheaply. The 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 normal the charcoal filters, the Brita filters, do not remove fluoride. There are there are real pro- reverse osmosis that removes some of it, but it's not very satisfactory. You waste a lot of energy, you waste a lot of water, you're left with a toxic sludge. You can use distillation, but again, that's expensive, and you're removing the minerals that that you that you need. So unless you buttress these approaches with um, uh, you know with a better diet or getting nutrients from a nutritional store or what have you. Um, that could be dangerous. So even if you do all that, and that's what my wife and I did for seven and a half years before we got fluoride out of our little village of Canton, New York, we used to buy bottled water, uh, five-gallon jugs of it at a time, and we used that for drinking and cooking. But that didn't protect us when we went to work and had fluoridated water in our coffee all day long or we went to a local restaurant, or we went to a friend's house that didn't ha- share our concerns. So it's extremely difficult to escape it. Then you've got to remember that you've got to bathe in this, you're going to shower in this, and if you've got a garden, and my wife is a keen organic garden, you're going to be sprinkling this crap on your, on your vegetables every day or, or during the growing season. So it is a nonsense, and I would urge you, rather than put the energy and money into trying to protect yourself, which is very, very difficult. It would be far better to protect yourself and your neighbor to organize to get fluoride out of Buffalo. And, and they're doing it in communities all over Canada and the United States right now. British Columbia is practically non-fluoridated. Quebec is non-fluoridated. And um, in Alberta, recently, Calgary, the, the, the council, bless them, voted fluoridation out after 20 years. And... Um, and uh, that's, a, that's a city of 1.1 million. And as the beginning of the program, Waterloo in Ontario voted it out, and Dryden, Ontario voted it out, and three communities in um, the Niagara region near Buffalo has stopped fluoridation. And all over Ontario and Alberta, there are communities right now, Winnipeg, uh, Manitoba, and so on, there are communities trying to stop this. They're trying to stop it in Hamilton. They're trying to stop it in Oakville. They're trying to stop it in Toronto, in Ottawa, um, all over. Lots all right, uh, uh, Carl, Carl in Buffalo, thank you for that. Uh, let's say hello to a Penison in Toronto. Hello, Penison. Yeah, I'm enjoying your program, but there's been no mention to date that I was taught in chemistry in high school and university that fluoride was the only acid that would eat into glass. And I wondered if you'd bring that point out. Yes, um, hydrofluoric acid is, is ironic. It's a weak acid. It is a weak acid in the sense that it's not completely dissociated. But it has this remarkable ability to etch glass. And that's one of the ways that you can tell that you've got fluoride pollution in the area. 
is that you'll see the glass is etched. And if you go to waterworks, you'll quite frequently see the glass of the windows in the, in the room where they add the fluoride. You'll see that that is, is etched because the chemical used for most fluoridation is hexafluorosilicic acid, but it has hydrogen fluoride as a contaminant, and that's volatile, and that comes off and, and etches the glass. So it's a, it's a very nasty stuff. Uh, hydrofluoric acid is a horrible, horrible um, a chemical. In fact, there's some chemists, professional chemists, say the only chemical that they really fear is hydrofluoric acid. Well, I'm glad because you brought you get that it on, you it eats right through the flesh. Before. All right, Penison, thank you for the thank call. You. All right, let's uh, move on down the line. Alex is in Scarborough this evening. Alex, welcome to The Conspiracy Show. Yes, um, my question is, if you boil the water, will that diminish the fluoride? No, it does the very opposite, unfortunately. When you boil the water, the water comes off of steam, and the fluoride is left behind and so the water gets more concentrated in fluoride when you boil it. So um, same with cooking. The water, the, the water that's left over in your carrots or cabbage or whatever, that's going to be more concentrated in, in fluoride. So boiling, uh, the boiling does boil off volatile chemicals like chlorine. If there's any excess chlorine there, boiling will get rid of that, but it will not get rid of fluoride. Alex, thanks for the call. We'll, we'll take a, a one more call here before the break, and uh, we'll take a time out and we'll come back. And I, and I want to talk to you uh, about, you mentioned that fluoride is a medicine uh, or a drug yeah. that's being uh, administered through the water supply. I, I want to find out what other possible effects that might have. Uh, we'll get to that in a moment after the break. But first, let's take this last call, Lynn from Toronto. Lynn, welcome to The Conspiracy yes. Show. Good, Go ahead. Good evening. Uh, you must be reading my mind, because um, I was going to ask, how come these dentists um, uh, suggest that you have these fluoride treatments? Last time, uh, you know, when you go to the dentist, they say, let's, let's brush your teeth with this fluoride. It's supposed to protect you from cavities. What do you think about that? Well, it, at least that is more rational. That, in my view, is more rational than put it in the, putting it in the drinking water for the reasons I explained. If you put it in the drinking water, you can't control the dose. You can't control who gets it. And its mechanism of action is topical. So topical treatments in the dental office make a lot more sense. But even so, you have to be very careful that in your topical treatment, you don't um, swallow any of the chemical that they're using in the topical treatment for example they they give little trays which around children's teeth now that that those trays the gel in those trays contain 12,500 parts per million fluoride and if a kid swallows that they could be in serious trouble so my view is that if you're going to have topical treatment with fluoride it should be applied with a, by a, with a paintbrush so that you avoid exposure to the gums with, with high concentration of fluoride because it will go through the gums into the bloodstream yes, and uh, increase your risks. That's usually how I, I notice they do it. All right, Lynn, thank you for that. Uh, we'll take a time out here. When we come back, I want to ask you, uh, uh, Paul, whether there is, in fact, a, um, a connection with fluoride and Hitler and the Nazis and how they may have uh, used fluoride. Well, we'll let me tell that. you right now, no. No, I say don't go there. The, the historical evidence 
uh, for Hitler. It's often talked about the historical evidence that Hitler used this to control the, the Jews in the concentration camp that is very, very weak indeed. And I would not use it. I think it's a horrible thing to talk about. I think the insinuation is that dentists are behaving like Nazis. And that is, I, I think it, that is so ridiculous. I, I think most dentists who support fluoridation do so in good faith. And the only, only problem from my point of view is they're not reading the literature. They're taking too much at face value. But I, I would put aside any notion of a nasty, nasty... Um, All right, we can check that one off the list. Like I don't All right. think that's... We'll check that one off the list. Dr. Conant, thank you. We'll uh, come back with more. Uh, the case against fluoride. Stay with us. Loose lips sink ships, and sometimes corporations. Got something to say? Call Richard Serrett now at 416-360-0740 or toll-free in Ontario, 1-866-740-4740. Different views make great conversation. This is The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett on Zoomer Radio, AM 740. To speak to Richard live, call 416-360-0740 or toll-free in Ontario, 1-866-740-4740. And uh, Dr. Paul Conant has uh, graciously uh, and... uh, He's agreed to stay with us until the bottom of the next hour. That's 12.30. The last half hour of the program will be open lines. Now, uh, thank you for, the, uh, for, for, for clarifying that, that, that earlier point, but I, I do want to pursue it in another, in another way. Let's take the Nazis okay. and Hitler out of, out of the equation. But is fluoride contained in some antipsychotic drugs? I have to be very careful with this. Um, fluorine is actually in many formula uh, in drugs, in organofluorine. This is fluorine connected to a carbon atom. So things like Prozac and uh, many of these drugs, Cipro is another one. Uh, there are many drugs in which fluorine is present. But this is a long way from a fluoride ion. The iron, the, the, the entity that we're talking about, which has direct toxic effects, is the fluoride iron, inorganic fluoride, a fluoride salt. Now, as I say, in the drugs, the drug companies usually put the fluorine into a molecule where it is likely to be metabolized to try to stop the metabolism at that weak point in the molecule. And that pro- prolongs the, it means you can use, uh, the, the, the drug goes round more in the body before it's metabolized, which means you can use lower concentrations. It's attractive to the pharmaceutical industry to use fluorine in this way. And I think that 99 times out of 100, you're going to find that when you look at the metabolites in the urine, you know, the drug will go around the body X number of times before it exits the body through the urine when the liver has converted it from a fat-soluble substance to a water-soluble substance. When you look at those metabolites, I think 99 times out of 100, you're still going to find the fluorine linked to the carbon atom. It has not become a free fluoride ion. So I think most of the time, the concerns about fluorinated drugs are misplaced. If you're, what you're concerned about 
is the effect of fluoride iron. Uh, however, if, if you've got a drug, especially drugs which are designed to get into the brain, and if indeed uh, they do metabolize to free fluoride iron, then it could be very serious indeed. You will have facilitated the access to the brain of, uh, of the fluoride iron if it's so met metabolized. Cipro, I believe, is one drug that is metabolized to free fluoride iron. So that is, that is uh, serious. And it's still re it re somebody needs to write a master's degree or even a, a PhD investigating all the fluorinated drugs and make absolutely certain that we know that all the fluorine is accounted for in the metabolites and that they're not metabolized to free fluoride iron. Um, I can tell you one chemical whose, whose toxicity is due not to fluoride iron, and that's fluoroacetate. Fluoroacetate is a very nasty stuff, 1080. It's used to kill vermin. Of, in New Zealand, they spread it with helicopters, for God's sake, um, to kill possums. But it's very nasty stuff, 1080 fluoroacetate. But we know how that works. The fluoroacetate is converted in the body to fluorocitrate, and this fluorocitrate poisons, it's a suicidal enzyme. It poisons an enzyme as part of the citric acid cycle, which is absolutely critical for the metabolism of sugars and the producing of energy. And that poisoning effect has absolutely nothing to do with the fluoride iron. It has everything to do with the shape and structure of fluorocitrate. And I think that will apply to many other of these drugs. The toxicity that we associate with some of these drugs, the side effects, will be due to the whole molecule with the fluorine still attached, not free fluoride ion. You mentioned the, the, this connection between lower IQ rates and fluoride. Yes. How, how does fluoride essentially dumb down a population, if I can use that, uh, that term? Well... <laughs> You know, we're not dumbing down a population per se. I think what you're talking about is a few IQ points. Um, and that, yeah, it is significant. If you shift the IQ curve over of the whole population, you will decrease the number of very bright the geniuses in your society, and you will increase the number of mentally handicapped. And, um, and that, that, of course, is, is serious. What we have on the table right now is, as I said, 25 studies, and the levels at which they found this effect have been anywhere from two to five parts per million, typically in the water, two to five parts per million. Remembering we fluoridate in the range of 0.6 to 1.2 parts per million. Now, the study I'm most familiar with is a study done in two Chinese villages, which I visited, and the threshold for the effect in this particular study was 1.9 parts per million. And I argue, since that study was about 300 Chinese children of fairly uniform lifestyle and genetics and uh, nutrition and what have you, that there's not an adequate margin of safety if you're seeing that effect at 1.9 parts per million to protect all the children in Canada and the United States drinking water in the range of 0.6 to 1.2 
parts per million. There just is simply not an adequate margin of safety. That does not mean that every child is going to have its IQ lowered at, at those levels. It does mean, I believe, that some children, uh, uh, the more vulnerable ones, are going to be impacted. And whether it's large or small, once we found a chemical that interferes with the brain, we should exercise the precautionary principle, especially when the goal is a, a slight reduction in tooth decay, which can be achieved uh, topically with toothpaste rather than swallowing it. Um, common sense and the precautionary principle says stop doing it once you have evidence, as we have, that fluoride can damage the brain. All right, let's say hello to Doug calling from Indiana tonight. Hello, Doug. Welcome to The Conspiracy Show. Yeah, I was listening to your uh, fluoride uh, talk and everything, and uh, I agree with you 100% that fluoridated water has no business being there because of its effect of going directly into the human system. But I, too, like to have good teeth that's not going to have problems later on in my life, so I brush with fluoridated uh, toothpaste. Can I get all this washed out of my mouth where it is safe? You know, when you're talking uh, 1.9 parts per million, when you're, you're talking about the amount of fluoride that's in toothpaste and you have it directly into your mouth and you wash it out when you're done, how much percentage-wise gets accidentally swallowed? So that's kind of making me afraid. Yeah. I, I wouldn't be afraid. I, I think that personally... I mean, I haven't used fluoridated toothpaste for 15 years, but um, I do think if I was given the choice between having a population encouraged to use fluoridated toothpaste or having a population exposed to fluoride with every glass of water that they drink, um, I, every time I would opt for fluoridated toothpaste rather than having fluoride in the water. Unfortunately, some fluoride, when you're washing, brushing your teeth, uh, will go through the gums and get into the bloodstream. That's been measured. You do get a little blip of the fluoride level in, in, the, in the blood. Whether that's enough to cause the kind of problems that we're concerned about, bone damage, lowered thyroid function, um, and so on, it's not clear. It really isn't clear at, the, at this point. There are other toothpaste which are considered by some to be as effective, if not more effective. One of them is toothpaste with xylitol in it. And xylitol is a natural sugar. We produce about 15 grams of it in our own bodies every day. It's obtained in things like strawberries and pine bark. It's been used in Scandinavia for over 30 years. And it's been endorsed by the dental associations in a number of countries. And the way it works is very interesting. In the presence of xylitol in the mouth, the bacteria that converts sugar to acid, and it's the acid which then attacks the enamel, which is the first step in tooth decay, they can't stick to the teeth. For these enamel, these bacteria to thrive, to survive in the mouth, they've got to be able to stick to something, stick to the plaque, stick to the teeth. And in the presence of, of, of um, xylitol, they can't do it. They're not sticky. And, and, and they just disappear. Now, why I like that is because here is something which in its essence is a toxic effect on the bacteria. But I can't see it having a toxic effect on human beings because we don't have to stick to things. I mean, it's a fairly innocuous way of getting rid of these bacteria. Whereas fluoride, which will also kill the bacteria, we think, can also damage us. 
All right. Let's uh, take a time out. When we come back, we'll get to some more calls and more questions for Dr. Paul Connett, the case against fluoride. And uh, we will take uh, this topic till the bottom of the hour, 1230, and then we'll shift gears and open up the phone lines and talk about just about anything. Uh, stay with us. Again, if you want to get on board with questions and comments, the number is to call 416-360-0740 and toll free from just about anywhere, one 866 You're listening to an exclusive podcast of The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett. Heard every Sunday night from 11 p.m. to 1 a.m. on Zoomer Radio, the new AM740. Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett from Zuma Radio, AM 740. According to the Florida Action Network, fluoride concentrates inside the bones and can make them more brittle and cause problems akin to arthritis. And because its molecules are so small, fluoride is not removed by smaller filters such as uh, Brita's. Reverse osmosis filters do eliminate it, but people are still being exposed during bathing. Uh, Dr. Conant, let, uh, let me get you to clear something else up. My, my understanding is that the, the National Cancer Institute in the United States uh, is saying that there's, there's no uh, cancer risk with fluoride. But then you have the National Toxicology Program, which has classified fluoride as something called a mutagen. What is a mutagen? Uh, a mutagen is something which uh, may cause uh, mutations in the genetic material. Uh, the... the you know, it's absolutely wrong for people to say there's no evidence of cancer. If they're going to be correct, scientifically correct, they should say there's mixed evidence. Uh, mixed evidence. Some evidence in animal studies and human studies shows an association with cancer. Some evidence says there's no association. It's, it's mixed. The National Toxicology Program in 1990 in the United States showed a linear increase in in osteosarcoma, a rare bone cancer, in rats, in male rats. Not in the female rats, but in the male rats. And then when the National Cancer Institute looked at the, the cancer figures throughout the United States, they found in two, two states, Iowa and Washington State, that there was an increase in osteosarcoma in young men, not in young women, but in young men, a greater increase in the fluoridated communities than in the non-fluoridated communities. Then they, then they went on to say that it didn't relate to the duration of exposure, and they thought the connection was unlikely. But the second study had so few data by the time they subdivided it into the different periods that that's 
really not a, a reason for rejecting the first finding. Um, we then had in 1992 a study done in New Jersey which showed an increase in uh, um, osteosarcoma, young, young males in three counties in New Jersey compared to non-fluoridated counties. But the most interesting study came out of Harvard in 2006 when uh, Elise Basson, a dentist incidentally, a dentist who found that if young boys were exposed to fluoridated water in their sixth, seventh, and eighth years, they had a five to seven-fold increased risk of osteosarcoma by the age of 20. And so she was the only one, and the first one, and the only one to date, who's looked at when the young boys are exposed to fluoride, not to how much fluoride they were exposed to, or whether they were exposed to fluoride or not, but when they were exposed. And that was a tight study, a case-controlled, match-case-controlled study. Now, when her study was published in 2006, her advisor, Chester Douglas, the chairman of the dental department at uh, Harvard, said, my largest study, sent a letter in. Elise Basson was his, his graduate student. The same journal saying, my largest study does not find this association that she's reporting. And, and he intimated that his study was going to come out in 2006, summer of 2006. And we waited and waited and waited for this study to come out. And finally it came out just a few weeks ago. And although the American Dental Association, as predicted, uh, came out and said, oh, this study shows there's no connection between fluoridation and osteosarcoma, it was a terrible study. Um, it didn't refute Bassin's findings at all, it, and it couldn't, because the, the me, me, way of measuring exposure was the level of fluoride in the bone at autopsy, at death, or at uh, biopsy, uh, when it was diagnosed. And you can't use, bone levels are cumulative, so if you're measuring the bone, say, at 20, that gives you no idea whatsoever of what the exposure was in this critical period found by Bassin the sixth, seventh, and eighth years. So whatever Douglas showed in his study, it certainly did not refute um, Bassin's study. And when the study did come out five years late, uh, later than it was promised, it came out in the dental journal. It didn't come out in a cancer journal. It didn't come out in the journal where Bassin had published her work, Cancer Causes and Control. And the, the, the suspicion is that this study was rejected by bona fide uh, journals, cancer journals, and they eventually had to scrape the barrel and go to a dental journal that had an interest in, in promoting fluoridation. Um, but one way or another, this is a very, very poor study. It was actually smaller than the Basson study. The cases and controls were extremely poorly matched. And one other extraordinary thing is the so-called controls were other bone cancers. You know, you're looking, you're comparing uh, children who have osteosarcoma with other children, and the other children have bone cancer. Now, this presupposes that the evidence is strong that fluoride doesn't cause any of these other bone cancers, and that's not true. In fact, there is some suspicion that fluoride may cause Ewing's sarcoma, which is another bone cancer. So one way and another, this is another propaganda exercise to protect the fluoridation program and not to protect the the public. But Paul, and, and you, we're you talking said about something here incidentally 
Here we're talking about a situation where we might be killing young men with this, with this practice. And, and you have to ask the question, why on earth would you give uh, this very sensitive study, a study which, if, it, if you got positive results, would actually end fluoridation overnight? Why would you give it to a professor of dentistry who, A, is known to be a promoter of fluoridation, and B, is a consultant for Colgate, which obviously has very strong economic interest in not finding a relationship between fluoride and osteosarcoma? It's extraordinary to me that over a million dollars of government money went into an exercise in which a dentist was allowed to, to be the, if you like, the scientific arbiter of this very, very sensitive issue. You, you, you mentioned uh, this interest in promoting fluoride or fluoridation. Yes. What is the interest then in promoting fluoridation of water? The motivation is very difficult to ascertain. Obviously, the, you know, follow the money. Well, the phosphate fertilizer industry is getting rid of something which would cost them an enormous amount of money to get rid of as hazardous waste. If they had to pay to get rid of it as hazardous waste, that would cost a fortune. Instead, they're getting paid to have it used. I don't personally think there's enough money there to be the tail that's wagging the U.S. government. Another economic interest which has always been around with fluoridation is the sugar lobby, the sugar industry. In fact, one year before the U.S. Public Health Service endorsed fluoridation, the sugar lobby said we need to find a way to reduce tooth decay without reducing sugar consumption. And they put millions of dollars into nutrition departments around the country promoting the nutritional benefits of, flora, uh, of sugar and at the same time extolling the virtues of, of fluoridation. And one scientist in particular became notorious for this, Dr. Fred Steyer, who's the professor of nutrition, who was head of the nutritional department at, at Harvard, literally made millions of dollars money testifying before Congress and stating things like Coca-Cola was a nutritious drink and the fluoridation was not only protected our teeth but protected our bones and so on. And he did that his whole life and he also was attacked unmercifully with very vitriolic rhetoric any opponent of, of fluoridation. People used to tremble in their boots when this man got his pen and wrote against florid, uh, people that were opposed to fluoridation. He had a regular column in newspapers throughout the United States. So there's an economic interest. Um, a lot of the ailments that we believe are caused by fluoride are big money makers by the pharmaceutical industry. And um, so I'm not saying that they are behind fluoridation, but they're certainly beneficiaries of fluoridation. But coming closer to the main players, it is a fact that fluoridation literally raised the status of dentistry in this country. Um, in the 1930s and 1940s, dentistry was a very, was a very poor uh, stepchild in medicine. You, you had all the, uh, you know, the medicine, that was where all the research money was going into different aspects of medicine, you know, heart and whatever, the different organs and so on. But dentistry was, you know, off to one side. And then when the research on fluoridation and the trials began, the status of dental research went up and up and up to the point that 
um, remember the U.S. Public Health Service endorsed fluoridation in 1950. In 1948 was the establishment of the National Institute for Dental Research. It became part of the huge complex of the National Institute of Health buildings in Bethesda, Maryland. At that point, dentistry became on a par with the rest of medicine as far as attracting huge amounts of U.S. government money for research. And from that moment onwards, two things happened. Fluoridation became the gravy train for dental research. This is the way you get money. If you research teeth and research uh, fluoridation, you get oodles of money, as long as you keep telling people how wonderful it is. And the second thing is it improved the status of dentistry as far as public health. The dentists were very, very proud of this contribution to public health. And it still is today. It's the backbone on which dentistry's reputation, especially as far as public health is concerned, has been built. And, and they're very loath to, to let that change. And that's why they, I think, hold on to it so vociferously. So I think that's where a lot of the motivation is. It's reputations and credibility. And I think the same thing applies to agencies like Health Canada and the Centre for Disease Control. It's all about credibility. It's all about the public's trust. And I think they think of it this way. If you lose fluoridation, you lose credibility. You lose credibility, you lose the public's trust. And if you lose the public's trust, then you threaten other important public health practices. And I would include in that the big money maker for the pharmaceutical industry, vaccination. And it may be that we're getting such intense fights to, to maintain and continue to promote fluoridation, not so much because fluoridation is so important, but because they're trying indirectly to protect uh, other public health issues like, like vaccination. Pure conjecture on my part, but it is a mystery why, despite the science which shows that it's not effective, and the science which says is potentially very dangerous for a number of organs in the body, they continue to promote this, and they continue, I think, willfully to deceive the Canadian and the American public about its benefits and its safety. All right, let's grab some calls here. Is uh, Sydney still on hold from Toronto? Sydney, hello. Yes, hi. Uh, it's fascinating, and uh, since I teach studies and propaganda, I want to tell the doctor about what happened in Toronto. Three or four years ago, there was a huge conference here about fluoride. Now, you could have been part of that. I can't remember, but I, I, did, yep. I did go to it. And they said at the conference that personal invitations had been sent out to the appropriate professors and scientists at U of T and other places, and not one of them showed up to this conference. I met one professor from Hamilton who was there. Then the very next day after the conference had ended, in a local paper, uh, I know the name of the paper, it was the I, I'm not blaming them, it was an advertisement. It was a full page advertisement, and I have it in my file, because it was so outrageous, I thought, I have to keep this, no one will believe it. And the whole page showed uh, a, pers a married couple, I guess, scientists wearing the white coats, 
little kids in the lab with the parent scientists, and they were all swilling down tap water uh, in the lab. And underneath it, it said, uh, scientists drink Toronto tap water. I have that in my file. It was just... It, it was so outrageous and so disgusting. <laughs> I kept the whole page, but not one of these people who was invited it came to that very important conference. So there's. I, I know it was very, very disappointing, extremely disappointing, and we held it in Toronto, and we held it at the University of Toronto specifically to get scientists to come with an open mind. They, did, they didn't have to agree with us. All we were asking them to do was to look at the science that we know has been published. And we had, we'd had about 18 uh, studies from China on, on the brain, translated from Chinese into English. And we, we held a press conference in the provincial parliament um, on this conference, uh, inviting people to come. And that's what really angered me when I saw the report from Health Canada and they only reviewed five of the IQ studies of which we had at the time they did this in 2009 we had at least 19 IQ studies but only reviewed five and they had no excuse because we held this conference under their noses in Toronto and uh, we had a press conference which got TV coverage and uh, covered in the Toronto Globe Mail, I think. Um, they must have known that these other IQ studies were out there. We brought Professor Vivian Howard over from from Northern Ireland to he's an infant and fetal pathologist to review all these IQ studies. And he appeared at the press conference. He gave a presentation at both the the International Society for Fluoride Research Conference and the FAN conference, which occurred immediately afterwards. So right. they can't say that they didn't know about these IQ studies, and yet they only reviewed five. I all right, Sydney, thank you for the call. I do have to uh, to get a break in here. Uh, uh, Paul, hold on. We'll take one final time out, come back, get to some more calls. Some more questions remain as uh, you present so eloquently. The case against fluoride here on The Conspiracy Show. Back with more in a moment. My name is Richard Serrett. Keeping an eye on the new world order, this is The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett from Zoomer Radio, AM 740. To speak with Richard, call 416 360 0740 or toll free 1-866-740-4740 This is no place for the naive or the faint-hearted The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett from Zoomer Radio AM 740 A few more moments uh, remain with Dr. Paul Connitz, again, graduate of Cambridge University, holds a PhD in chemistry from Dartmouth College, and he is the executive director of the Fluoride Action Network. Before we get back to the calls, uh, Paul, uh, we, we, we cited uh, some uh, some recent, I guess, success stories where, where uh, um, angry people have uh, risen up and demanded, put pressure on city uh, councillors and so forth, and had fluoride removed from their drinking water. Calgary, you mentioned. Uh, much of Quebec, British Columbia, here in Ontario, we had the case of uh, of Waterloo. How do they do it? How do they? How can they? Uh, how can we uh, organize most effectively to get this done? 
Well, the very important thing, I'm not suggesting that fluoridation is the most important issue, but I am saying that it's the easiest issue to end if you have the political will. If you have the political will, it's as easy to end as turning off a tap. It's over. It's over overnight. You turn off a tap, it's finished. But to get to turn that tap, you've got to have the political will. To get the political Ill will, you've got to have people informed and you've got to have people organized. So you can't do it one individual. You've got to have a formal group. So I recommend that you form a group. I, I, I think you've also got to make sure you've got some professionals in your group. Get some dentists, get some scientists, professors from the local university. Uh, before you take it to the council, because if you take it to the council just as citizens, you could easily get blasted out of the room with all those white coats who will, will come in from the Ontario Dental Association, what, what, what have you. Um, it's very helpful if you've got local media that are prepared to give both sides of the issue and treat it seriously and not superficially. Often the newspaper coverage is very superficial. They'll quote the officials and then they'll quote citizens, one sentence from each, and that's it. Possibly mention Dr. Strangelove, the movie. Um, it's, you, you need journalists, editors who are prepared to do a serious job to look at, at both sides. And you need determination to, to, uh, to, to push it through. Uh, Waterloo was a very good example of a well-organized group that persevered, and um, they were up against big money and power, uh, and they scraped through by the skin of their teeth. It was a narrow victory, but considering the odds that they were against, it was a magnificent victory. Nearby, London, Ontario is organizing, and as I've mentioned before, there are groups fighting this in Hamilton, in Oakville, in Ottawa, in Toronto, um, all over Ontario, and, and other communities in Alberta. We're expecting more victories in Alberta uh, to come out shortly after to Calgary. Um, uh, it would seem uh, in other countries, New Zealand is particularly active at this moment. The, the fan New Zealand is doing very well educating communities. Paul, we have, we have Europe, which is virtually fluoride-free now, and then we have uh, North America, where we still have large uh, populations uh, subjected to fluoride. It would seem natural or, or easy to do a very large-scale epidemiological study. Has one been performed on the two populations? To, 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 they, to they don't do the most... The, the interest, they really don't do the most basic studies that should have been done. Studies to see if there's a relationship between arthritis. We have one in three adults in America with arthritis. No one's done a study to see if there's linked to fluoridation, even though we know that the first uh, impacts of fluoride on the bone is, is just like arthritis, pains in the joints, stiffness of the joints. They're not looking to see if there's a relationship with hypothyroidism, even though fluoride was used by doctors in the 30s, 40s, and 50s to lower thyroid function. The most basic studies have not been done. They're not tracking the levels of fluoride in the blood, bones, urine of the population as a matter of routine. And I actually heard the chief dental officer of Canada, Dr. Peter Cooney, say to a group in Dryden, Ontario, a few weeks before they had a referendum there, and he said, I've walked down your high street today and I didn't see anybody growing horns and you've been fluoridated for 40 years. Now that actually is, although it sounds like Monty Python, is actually about the extent of research on fluoride's effects on the human population in Canada to go out 
and see if people are growing horns. And seriously, what they're doing is they're saying, you know, we've been doing this for 50 or 60 years, we don't see any problems. But the absence of study does not mean the absence of harm. And if you don't look, you don't find, and quite frankly, they don't want to find. And that's where the conspiracy is. If you think about a conspiracy, the conspiracy is not looking, not wanting to find out that the policy they promoted for over 50 years, it doesn't work, is dangerous, but they don't want to find out. So they simply do not do the studies. That's a conspiracy. Or perhaps um, even more sinister, if I might uh, uh, suggest, obviously we're into the realm of speculation, but they have looked, they have seen, and now after 60 years, how do they suddenly turn around and tell the public, we knew, we suppressed, we, we misled, uh, you, they, they can't. How do they, how do they, how do they it, it, you know, some have made a similar charge yep. against those in the cell phone industry. They've suggested yep. they know it's too late. They can't now turn, turn around and say, we knew. Yeah, I think, yeah, I think this comes back to the credibility issue. That's what they know. I think they've got so much dirty linen on this issue when people do go below the surface that they're scared stiff of what this is going to do. They simply do not want to lose the public's trust. Uh, and lose their credibility and threaten these everything else that they're trying to do. But my attitude is the very opposite. If you want to get the public's trust, if you want to get that credibility back, you've got to come clean on this. It's painful, but you've got to excise this cancer before it does more damage. I mean, I think we need to trust the agencies that are set up to protect our health and protect the environment. But I think in Canada and in the United States, we are losing the public's trust in both medicine and, and dentistry and, and in public health policy. And, and that's pretty sad. And yeah, it, I, it, I think you're right. People are, people are very angry. There's a time when you really need the public to trust you. You really do. There's going to be an emergency of some kind, and the Health Canada is going to have to say, do this. It's going to be painful, blah, blah, blah. But you've got to do this for, the, for whatever. And people are going to say, I'm not going to do that. I don't trust you people. And that's not good. No, indeed. Uh, Sherry is in North York. Good morning, Sherry. Welcome to The Conspiracy Show. Hi. Um, I was just uh, interested. Um, what do you recommend as far as a filter or a product to clean up the bathing water or tap water or dishwasher water? Hello? Uh, so, sorry, yes. Um, I, I didn't quite catch that question. It was the use of water in, in dishwashing, that kind of thing? Yeah, for bathing or, or for dishwashing. What would you recommend well, as I'm far not as a sure. filter or a product? There, there is some suggestion that fluoride may be corrosive to pipes. I'm not sure if there's any indication that it damages uh, dishwashers. But I think there's a more immediate concern with a hot bath. The thing about a hot mm -hmm. bath is that your pores open. And whilst mm -hmm. fluoride wouldn't normally go through the skin because it's water-soluble and you've got the waxy layer there that keeps out water-soluble things, when you go into a hot bath, the pores open. And that's when you can anticipate that water and anything in the water can get into the, the bloodstream. Now, that needs to be put on a solid basis scientifically, and I don't think it has yet. I'm also concerned, I mentioned earlier, about the use of fluoridated tap water to, if you're an organic gardener, you're putting poison 
on your vegetables, and, and that's not a good idea. But it's drinking, cooking that are the, the main concerns here. And if you go to the other uses, whilst you can get enough water uh, uh, fairly cheaply if you're middle income uh, for cooking and drinking, most people can't afford the filters, etc., for the whole house. So you, you can't avoid bathing in it and showering in it. And if you're a gardener, often you can't avoid spraying it on your on your fruit and vegetables. All right, uh, Sh- Sherry so in North York. Sort of a, uh, a generic filter that people could use in their homes for bathing. Uh, would be very expensive. I mean, you're talking um, whole house filters. You're talking several thousand dollars, maybe five, six thousand dollars. Mm-hmm. Tabletop for just enough water to drink, and maybe some for cooking, would cost you several hundred dollars. All right, uh, Sherry. I wish the news were better, uh, but um, I think uh, Dr. Conant has laid out an action plan, and that is uh, we have to tackle this issue. In a uh, in a far broader way, and that is, uh, you know, get it banned from the water supply altogether. Uh, Anne is in Aurora. Good morning, Anne. Joe, get it banned from the water supply altogether. Uh, Anne is in Aurora. Do we have Anne there? Hello. Hi, Anne. Uh, good morning. Oh, You're on the I'm conspiracy sorry. show. Go um, ahead. I'm not hearing you too well, but perhaps you can hear me better. Um, yes, I've been um, against fluoridated water for a very long time and have read an awful lot on the Internet about it, especially on the Fluoride Action Network. I am most concerned about it. I have, um, I'm um, um, hyper, I have hyperthyroid. I have only one kidney. And um, these things really concern me. I also just wanted to say that there is a a dentist, at the University of Toronto, who is definitely opposed to it, his name is Hardy Limbach, DDS, PhD, and why I'm not officially opposed to adding fluoride to drinking water. So I guess we just have to talk to a lot of people. Uh, I did try talking to Dale Goldhawk about it, and he can approve me, but I'm going to pursue that with him. Good. There is an attempt to fluoridate Aurora right now. I've been to Aurora a couple of times fighting incineration about 20, 20 years ago, so I know, the, I know the area. I also know Hardy Lineback, who's one of the heroes in this whole movement to Absolutely. stop fluoridation. Hardy Lineback, as you point out, DDS and a PhD, PhD in biochemistry, one of Canada's leading dental researchers, and uh, when he heard, the thing that triggered him is when he heard that the chemicals being used to fluoridate were actually hazardous waste chemicals from the phosphate fertilizer industry, which he, first of all, did not believe. But once he verified that, he was absolutely horrified. And amongst other things that he has done, apart from apologizing to his students for promoting this for so long, was that he was a member of the National Research Council that spent three and a half years examining the, the toxicity of fluoride and recommended that the safe drinking water standard in the United States needed to be, to be lowered. So he's one of my heroes, Hardy Lineback, but he hasn't done this without penalty. He's, uh, he's, he's upset a lot of his friends and colleagues. He found it very difficult to get promotion after this. One of the um, proponents of fluoridation tried to have him censored uh, 
at the University of Toronto. Um, it's, it's not been a comfortable experience for, for Hardy Lineback, but he, he continues to speak the truth on this issue. Yeah, well, he's a very But you say that there's something going on in Aurora. Is there someone I can get in touch with in Aurora? Well, the, the person that was our point person for Ontario is Diane Sprouls in Oakville. Can you spell um, her last name? You, you, uh, Diane Sprouls. The best thing I think you, for you to do, um, and is to call, is to email me, and I'll give you all the contact details. Okay, My email address is very simple. It's P Connett, P C O N N E T T, P Connett at gmail dot com, and I'll give you Diane Sprouls' uh, contact details, and she can tell you who in Aurora is working on this. Oh, All right, Anne and Aurora, thank you for the call. And uh, uh, Paul, leave us a, with, with, with the website again if people want to get a hold of you. I'm, I'm guessing that they can do that from the website as well. Yes. Right. Thank you very much. Yes, it's, uh, it's, it's the Internet which has made this whole uh, modern movement to stop fluoridation possible because they can't hide... The, the data anymore. They can't hide the science. Every scientific paper that has something to say on this issue, we can now make available to the public, and we have on our website, fluoridealert.org. Well, uh, thank you very much for this, uh, uh, Paul, and uh, look forward to having you on the program again. And uh, I'm sure you gave people a lot of uh, a lot of pause for concern, and obviously some very disturbing news, but. Uh, for forewarned and forearmed, I guess, as the old expression goes. Well, thank you, Richard. As I said before, uh, this is one issue which is as easy to end as turning off a tap once we have the political will. But we're not going to get that political will unless we get masses of people informed and organized. And certainly your program is one of those which is helping to inform the public. All right. Thank you thank again. You for that. Dr. Paul Connett, the Fluoride Action Network. All right, time out. When we come back, open lines. If you'd like to weigh in again on uh, uh, fluoride, fluoridation in the water, please uh, give us a call if you'd like to talk about just about anything else uh, that has to do with deep politics, cover-ups, political subterfuge, the paranormal, supernatural. The phone line's available to you now at 416-360-0740 and toll-free from out of town, 866-740-4740. You're listening to The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett from Zoomer Radio, AM 740. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett. Heard every Sunday night from 11 p.m. to 1 a.m. on Zoomer Radio, the new AM740. Exploring theories, uncovering facts, and offering a different view of the universe. This is The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett on Zoomer Radio, AM740. To speak to Richard live, Call 416-360-0740 or toll-free in Ontario, 1-866-740-4740. Welcome back. Next week on the program, of course, I don't need to tell you, the 10th anniversary of a day as uh, 
President Roosevelt once said, will lay, uh, a day that will live in infamy, uh, the 9-11 attacks, we celebrate, the, or we, we mark, I should say, we commemorate we commemorate the, the 10th anniversary. Next week on the program, Jim Mars, perennial uh, New York Times bestselling author, uh, will be along for uh, the first hour or so of the program. Uh, he has a new revised edition of his uh, book, uh, The Terror Conspiracy, Deception, 9-11, and the Loss of Liberty. So Jim Mars joins me next week on the program. And uh, we'll uh, dedicate the full two hours, obviously, uh, as we, uh, again, commemorate the 10th anniversary of the uh, 9-11 attacks. Now, uh, apropos of that, I just received this email. And uh, you can weigh in on this if you'd like. Richard, please keep my identity 100% confidential. Do not release my name or location or any identifying detail. However, you may release my profession. I'm a mechanical engineer and uh, was previously an engineering officer in the Army. Uh, please do not indicate my nationality to anyone. Uh, you may do confidential research on me and my background to confirm my identity if you wish. He goes on to say, 9-11 was a controlled demolition. In fact, it involved nuclear demolition charges. Whether it also involved thermitic cutting or conventional explosive charges is a matter for debate among chemists and allied scientists and engineers who have been privy to the chemical nature of the residues, which I have not been. My reasons for believing in the nuclear demolition theory are manifold. They include details I have read in newspapers, both prior to and after the event, footage I viewed, experiential knowledge of how materials and structures behave under load and temperature, exactly what my current job involves, and personal experience viewing plans for nuclear demolitions of high-rises within North America. I also believe there were ample motives for those elements of the government who carried it out and the building owners such that an inside job becomes a very credible explanation, explanation and the sole explanation when you shine a technical light on the evidence. Uh, the email writer goes on to say, there are plenty of websites explaining why the nuclear demolition hypothesis holds up. I forward this email not to expound on those technical arguments, but to pass along that I have personal first-hand knowledge of such demolition devices having been designed for installation in New York and Chicago. I also have knowledge of certain features of a nuclear demolition design which I see evidence for in the footage, which have not yet been discussed on these websites, which cannot be explained by any other theory, such as conventional demolition to do with a gas escapement and electrical disturbance. You can consider me an eyewitness to the engineering drawings for this demolition, which were forged decades ago. The technical origin of this false flag event is uh, Project Plowshare and the companies that did the work for the U.S. government there at the Nevada test site. While the ideological monetary origin has probably already been adequately expounded on by leading political thinkers and economists, as I guess I would venture it had something to do with A, destroying subpoenaed evidence and accounting records, B, collecting insurance, C, supporting MIC funding, D, controlling public sentiment and voting intentions, E, 
furthering previously unsupportable external goals, or F, some or all of the above. After so many technical professionals with impressive credentials have come forward, my claims can have only marginal impact. However, if a building in Chicago falls in the future, you would now have a clue why. Remember that while terrorists may observe anniversaries, so too do the designers of false flag attacks. In theory, it would lend greater public credence than even the original attack to the terrorism hypothesis. For both of our country's sake, I hope such a scenario does not evolve in the coming days or years. Please do not dismiss this email, as many would, thinking it too extraordinary. Remember, Chicago may yet suffer a similar tragedy. I assure you that there are people ruthless enough within the Central Intelligence Agency. Again, personal experience informs my opinion. I enjoy your show. Keep it up. Regards, and I obviously will not divulge the name as the letter writer has requested. All right. 416-360-0740. 416-360-0740. And toll free from out of town, Maine to Minnesota, North uh, Thunder Bay to uh, the Carolinas, 866-744-740. We'll uh, take a time out, and uh, when we come back, get to your calls and also some other important items in the, no- in the news you need to be in the know about. Back with more of The Conspiracy Show. Stay with us. Corporations, governments, and sometimes entire civilizations, what goes up? must come down and it lands on the conspiracy show with richard serrett from zuma radio am 740 passcodes personal identification numbers social insurance numbers if they make you wonder how private they are here's two more numbers 416-360-0740 or toll-free in Ontario, 1-866-740-4740. Welcome back. Typhoon Talus dumped uh, record amounts of rain Sunday in western and central Japan, killing at least 20 people and stranding thousands more as it turned Towns into lakes, washed away cars, triggered mudslides that obliterated houses. At least 50 people were missing, according to local media reports. Evacuation orders and advisories were issued to 460,000 people in the region, which is hundreds of miles from the country's tsunami-ravaged northeastern coast. At least 3,600 people were stranded by flooded rivers, landslides, and collapsed bridges. All right, 416-360-0740-866-744-740 to get on uh, board. Uh, as I mentioned, Jim Mars next week on the program uh, to discuss the uh, the 10th anniversary of the 9-11 attacks. And um, in addition to that, of course, this coming Wednesday, which is the 7th of, uh, of September, 9.30 p.m. at the uh, Toronto Underground Cinema, which I believe is in the Queen and Spadine area. Uh, Richard Gage, a director of Architects and Engineers from 9-11 Truth, uh, will be in town presenting the Canadian theatrical uh, premiere of his documentary, Explosive Evidence, Experts Speak Out. 
And uh, rumor has it I will be there as well, uh, making an appearance, perhaps saying a few words either prior to or immediately following the screening. And uh, that, of course, is presented by uh, Conspiracy Culture, our good friends Patrick and uh, Kadena. Uh, the uh, the uh, tickets on sale uh, can be purchased by calling Conspiracy Culture. The best thing to do is to log on to the website, www.theconspiracy.com. Or sorry, conspiracyculture.com, conspiracyculture.com. Get your tickets uh, for that. And of course, Richard Gage joined us uh, last week on the show for a uh, a few moments. All right, uh, I appear to have lost uh, text contact with uh, with Griffin back at the uh, the studio. So Griffin, I'm not sure if we have anyone on uh, online. We do. All right, who's up first? Corin from Toronto. Welcome to the Conspiracy Show. Good morning. Uh, I'm glad to be on. I enjoyed the program very much, and of course, my comments have to do with your subject of fluoridation. All right, Corin, uh, what do you want to say? That's what I called in for. Um, I'm a dual citizen. Uh, I'm living here in, in Thornhill, Ontario, but uh, when I was living in Detroit, Michigan, and I can't remember the year, um, my husband and I were very much involved with the uh, uh, fluoridation, and at that time it was put to the vote, and we had a large group, very active group, who uh, did everything possible that they could to enlighten the public, and we were doing very well. Uh, it was a close vote. Um, I remember uh, that uh, one of the things we did was that uh, we went out and we bought a can of rat poison, because the rat poison had if I recall, 90% sodium fluoride. And um, we would show it to people and say to them, do you want um, minute parts of this in your drinking water? And, of course, when they saw that, they said, no, we didn't realize it. That that's the same sodium fluoride. Yes, it is the same sodium fluoride. And that got a lot of people. Unfortunately, our group wasn't big enough for the whole city, the vote was close, but we lost the vote. But I have never forgotten that, that lesson. Uh, it's a lesson to me about all poisons. And also I'd like to caution uh, mothers and fathers that when they go to the dentist and the dentist wants to do the fluoride treatments, you are to say the magic word, no. And don't let them push you on it. It's no. And those are my comments, and I thank you. I enjoyed your show very much. Corinne, thank you very much for that. All right, let's say hello to uh, Elsa from Toronto. Hello, Elsa, good morning. So Elsa, your show next you Sunday. Um, my question is this, actually, I'd like your comments. Uh, since uh, Obama is taking the credit for the uh, killing of Osama bin Laden, do you believe that this will be payback time, this anniversary of 9-11? Will the terrorists be making uh, a point of giving us a message as to, uh, re- uh, to revenge the death? Ah, well, a lot of uh, interesting assumptions contained in that question. Number one, uh, was Osama bin Laden killed in uh, May of 2011? I, quite frankly, have very, very serious doubts uh, that he was. I think the best evidence suggests Osama bin Laden uh, died shortly after the 9-11 attacks, uh, December 
of 2001, to be precise. In fact, there were a lot of even mainstream media reports uh, to that effect. And I think uh, we have it in pretty good authority that uh, all of the videotapes and audio tapes uh, that came after December 2001 uh, were f fakes, hoaxes, uh, frauds, uh, fabrications. And this comes from uh, uh, Brian Lawrence, Professor Brian Lawrence from Duke University, who is considered uh, to be one of the foremost authorities on, on Osama bin Laden. So that's number one. Uh, number two, will the terrorists, uh, you know, be using this as a pretext for some sort of a reprisal or payback? Well, who are the terrorists? Uh, are we talking about Al-Qaeda? Is there an Al-Qaeda? If so... Who's controlling Al Qaeda? Uh, so it's you know it's a very it's a very muddy uh, muddy water or pool that we're, we're looking into here. But I I, um, I guess I what I have to say bluntly is I would reject sort of the the premise of the question uh, that terrorists are going to attack again uh, to avenge the death of Osama bin Laden. I think that's a house of cards. Uh, that 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 quite frankly, just falls apart. All right. Uh, thank you for the call, Elsa. Edward is in Baltimore. Good morning, Edward. Welcome to The Conspiracy yes, Show on AM 740. Good morning. Um, I like to say my sister's married to Perry Adonis, and he went like, to um, University of Maryland Dental School, the old University of Maryland Dental School on Lumber Street, now it's on Baltimore Street. Um, he went to Wilmington Dental School in Delaware, Tufts, and, you know, Boston College, you know, and my grandfather's brother was a dentist back in 1919. And um, all I like to say is that um, I really believe fluoride helps prevent cavities. I really believe it should be in water. I believe it should be in drinks and all, and especially in tap water and drinking water, maybe other water. It should be, definitely fluoride should be there. Because I know when I was little, my dad she was fluoride on me. Well, and uh, have you read the literature that uh, Dr. Paul Conant uh, has posted on his website? You're not convinced by the studies, obviously, Edward. No. All right. Well, that's, um, you see, that's the, that, that's the great thing about uh, informed consent is, uh, you know, you're able to make that choice. Right. You should be, but we can't make that choice because it's in our water, whether we like it or not. Uh, so if I read the literature and I happen to disagree with it, that's fine. I'm, I'm quite, quite willing to accept Florida and my water. But what happens to those of us, uh, again, informed consent, we read those studies. We agree with those studies. We don't want fluoride on our water. We don't have a choice. That's well, I always believe that fluoride help is one of the main stays in helping prevent cavities. That's one. That's one uh, perspective. Along and, with brushing. Right. All right. I appreciate the call from Baltimore, Edward. Good to hear from Marilyn checking in on the conspiracy show. Again. Uh, that may very well be a legitimate, informed opinion. Uh, but, but, I mean, this is, I think, sacrosanct to, uh, you know, having responsibility over our own bodies and our health. And that is informed consent. 
I have to be able to give consent for any administration of drug or, or, or uh, any sort of surgical procedure. That's the law. I can't have these things performed on me as a patient without my informed consent. I have no choice when it comes to the water. Fluoride is, is there, and uh, unless we can get it overturned by city council, I have no other choice. All right, we'll uh, take a, uh, a final timeout. We'll come back and perhaps a time for a call or two. 416-360-0740, Back with more of The Conspiracy Show. Stay with me. You want the truth? You can handle the truth. The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett from Zoomer Radio, AM 740. To get to the truth, call Richard now at 416-360-0740. Or toll-free at From Zoomer Radio, AM 740. To see the light, call Richard now at 416-360-0740 or toll-free in Ontario at 1-866-740-4740. All right, let's say hello to Ryan in Toronto. Hello, Ryan. Welcome to The Conspiracy Show. Good morning. Hey, Richard. How are you? I'm well, thank you, sir. Um, I, 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 I agree with everything that your guest um, was talking about with respect to fluoride, and anyone that thinks that we should have fluoride in our water should only look at people in Africa that uh, actually market fluoride-free toothpaste because it destroys people's teeth and gums. Anyway, uh, fluoride is an important issue. It's a very important issue, and it's something that we should definitely take uh, take to heart. And um, but it's not the only water-bound problem. There's a lot of other things in the water. So going back to the whole filtration thing, even if we are all successful in getting the fluoride out of the water, I know you and I both live in Toronto. We're at least a billion to to two billion dollars behind in infrastructure improvements in the in the Toronto water system, and. Uh, it's not just the fluoride, it's the chlorine, it's all of the decaying uh, water pipes and, and uh, it's um, amalgam chemicals uh, from um, uh, pharmaceuticals, there's a whole bunch of other things. So I really think that anyone that's really concerned about their health and the health of their family really ought to look at a complete water treatment system. And people say it's expensive, these are the same people that spend $100 a month on their cell phone or their Blackberry or their or their iPads or whatever it is, and then when you talk about, um, you know, filtering their water, they're like, no, no, that's too expensive. So it's a, it's part of a whole view, I think. Excellent point, Ryan. What is more elemental, uh, really, than water? Uh, what is more essential uh, to our existence uh, than water? And and uh, and Just yes, you're right. Fluoride yeah. is is one is one uh, part of the uh, of of the problem. It's it's 
it's a significant part. And uh, uh, there's only, you know, we can only sort of tackle these issues one at a time, uh, really. And, and uh the, the 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 temptation or the risk is to despair and throw up our hands and say, well, there's too many problems. It's uh, you know I, I'm too small. I can't do anything about it. Uh, you know if we can if we can win the war against fluoride, if you will, uh, then that will you know that will bolster us and buttress us and well, uh, and galvanize there's many, there's us. Many people that are predicting that the next war that's going to happen in the world is not going to be over oil, it's going to be over water. And we're Canada is 20% of the world's fresh water and one or less than 2% of the world's population. We take our water for granted. And uh, your guest pointed out that the people of, uh, of Europe who have, who have spent the you know, f- you know, 14th and 15th century completely polluting their environment have realized this and rejected fluoride completely, or almost completely, and we're still doing it like, uh, like sheep. All right, Ryan, thanks for the call. Thank you. Uh, you know, actually, we, we already are fighting, fighting wars over water. Um, much of what's going on in the Middle East, although it's not portrayed this way uh, in the media, at its essence is about water. Now we're told it's about religion or, uh, you know, oil. But uh, deep down at its root, it is about uh, access to fresh water, pure and simple. All right, Joe is in Brooklyn. We'll make this our final call. Good morning, Joe. Good morning. Um, my comment is more general to, to the entire inclusive concept of it doesn't matter which elitist and which peg in the pyramid is promoting what program. And, what, and Jim Morris elucidates quite a bit about eugenics, et cetera, et cetera. But all of this is roundabout. It, it's all about noting something that might be fearful, and the art of life is negotiating the obstacle course. And one of the problems with all of these quote-unquote distractions is it keeps you from focusing, and it keeps you from elevating yourself above the fear level. And more needs to be in terms of attention to raising one's higher functions, whether you want to use a word like consciousness or not. Let's obviate this. One doesn't need a telephone if they're using ESP. One doesn't need a jet if they're doing um, OBE or any one of a number of other things. If you raise your latent higher functioning, then you will approach their fear level, which is, you don't need them anymore, and they lose their power. Joe, that's, a, that's an excellent way to end a program, and, and I, 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 I agree with you. I think the point here is, uh, and, you know, the Gnostics talked a lot about this, uh, uh, that, you know, we are living on this prison planet, and the archons are distracting us. They are keeping us from the truth about who we are, not necessarily, not, not even just who we are, but what we are, and we are, in essence, spiritual beings, uh, but we have sort of devolved into material, material building, uh, beings, and we have been distracted by materialism, uh, and you, you, you're absolutely right. We, I mean, we, we, we do tend to focus on the problems here on Earth, uh, and it is a distraction, but so it's least... necessary to change the focus. In order to raise a new paradigm, one has to change the focus. 
Well, I agree, but we can talk, we can sort of, there's a kind of a two-track system. We can talk about both things here, and we do that on the program. We can talk about how to elevate uh, our consciousness, but also we can sort of, I guess, rearview mirror it and look back and say, and this is the way that the, the earth is, and this is the reason we need to elevate our consciousness, because this is what's going on down here on the ground. Uh, the Joe danger in with that is one brings into concentration and focus what was, as told, uh, the German psychologist says, the danger of thought and memory is that it constantly holds you a prisoner to the past, and you never make it to the now, to the continuum, as long as you allow yourself to be distracted by all of those things and playing catch-up to the elitist plan. The only way of evolving is not participating and that start that means you have to unlearn all of those things and just start with this is what i wish to create and this is how i'm going to do it all right joe i appreciate your comments thank you great hearing from uh, brooklyn and uh, great hearing from all of you tonight and uh, our thanks to dr paul Connett. thanks to uh, griffin march back in studio next week jim mars on the program to discuss the 10th anniversary of 9-11, his new book, The Terror Conspiracy Revised. Deception 9-11 and the Loss of Liberty, hope you'll be part of that. In the meantime, don't be afraid. There's nothing concealed that won't be revealed and nothing hidden that won't be made known What I speak in the dark, speak in the light, and what you hear in the shadows. Proclaim from the housetops. Move over, Aphrodite. I'm coming home. Good night. This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show.